Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Isaiah 65, and the last time the message was titled, Struggling in Prayer. You know, in this church, we don't, we're not pretentious, we don't pretend everything's perfect. Every person, including every Christian, has their ups and downs in life. So if you didn't get last Sunday's message, Struggling in Prayer, if you are struggling, it's probably a good one to get off the internet. Uh, Today, the message is titled, Not the Answer Anticipated. So the Israelites, it was a difficult time. It was the 7th century BC, circa, and they had some problems. They were going through some trials, and, and the remnant, at least, the godly remnant, was praying to God for answers. But I don't think that the answer they got was the answer they anticipated. Now, and you can come up with a few more, but I've come up with a few answers when we're in prayer, right? Some denominations will teach you if you say this mantra over and over again, God is compelled to give you whatever you want. You find out pretty soon that that's not reality and it's not based on the scripture. So we can look at some answers, like when we're praying. The best answer is when you pray for something and you ask God for something, he says yes. (laughs) For us, that's the ideal answer. Uh, sometimes God says, yes, but wait. Oh, it's kind of a mixed bag. And if he's asking us to wait a year or two years or ten years, we can become impatient like Abraham and Sarah did. Uh, sometimes the answer is no. Well, we don't always appreciate that, but i got to be honest with you. Uh, if God answered every single prayer I had since I was born or since I could pray, um, and he gave me everything I wanted, it would have ruined me. So sometimes actually no is a good answer. And we have to trust God's sovereignty. Sometimes when we pray, we get silence. Right? Let's be real, Christians. Let's be real. I'm not up here to paint a picture that's unrealistic. And then sometimes when we pray, we get the answer that we didn't anticipate. And that's where the Israelites are in this portion of Scripture. But that's also where we can be at times. And we're going to look at this in four parts. So jumping in to Isaiah 65, he says, now this is God's response to the remnant, right? Chapter delineations came later. This is one continuous thought, the Isaiah scroll. So God's response through the prophet, I was sought by those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am to a nation That was not called by my name. I have stretched out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, according to their own thoughts. A people who provoke me to anger continually to my face, who sacrifice in gardens. And this is a list of the things that they did that had, uh, they were pagan practices. Uh, The the, the surrounding nations were uh, worshiping like false gods or these demon type gods. And some of the Israelites, this is the Old Testament. This isn't a Christian contrivance. Uh, The prophets had to set them straight because they were, they were really going and taking a bad path. Not all of them, some of them. They sacrificed in gardens. They burnt incense on altar of brick. 
they sat among the graves like uh, necromancy, you know, these weird uh, fascination with the dead. They spend the night in the tombs who eat swine's flesh and the broth of abominable things is their vessels who say, keep to yourself, do not come near me for I am holier than you. Holier than thou, that's where that comes from. And we'll talk about that. These are smoke in my nostrils, the Lord says. A fire that burns all the day. Behold, it is written before me. I will not keep silence, but will repay, even repay to their bosom. Your iniquities and the iniquities of your fathers together, says the Lord, who have burned the incense on the mountains and blasphemed me on the hills. Therefore, I will measure their former work into their bosom. So one is God answers the prayers of the Israelites. And he makes a stunning dichotomy between a people that he nurtured, and many of them had turned to these pagan deities, but the pagans, it's interesting, they were tired of their deities. You know, in the first century when Jesus came, a lot of Romans and Greeks started following him. They were so tired of their uh, polytheistic pantheon. Uh, It was getting them nowhere, and like pagans today who follow polytheism. When somebody honestly shares Christianity and, and the love of God and Christ, uh, they, some of them are very interested in that, and they renounce those former ways. So, you know, this isn't just for these people back then. It's for us today as well. Uh, but you see this, this Gentile inclusion that God spoke about all throughout the Old Testament, and it really culminated with Christ and the church, where the floodgates were opened up, where people say today, well, the church isn't Jewish. You've got to read your history books. The church started as Jewish. It's just that the majority of the Gentiles had come in and flooded into Christianity. And it's kind of changed the makeup of it. But Christianity is, was, is Jewish. You see what I'm saying? Jesus came from the Jewish line. So, again, you have to really read. You've got to, you know, I always say to people, don't get your Bible information and your God information from the History Channel or from TV. Because they're just going to, they're going to put their own spin on it. Read it from the source. Uh, but Israel had fallen, sadly. But I've got to tell you, today in Christianity, there's so many schisms and there's some very strange fringes. You know, and again, as Christians, we've been nurtured by God. We're nurtured in prayer and by the word of God. But some in the culture have become almost like the old Israelites where they're seeking odd things. And we'll get into that a little deeper. So the Lord continues and, and even marvels that these pagans had had an interest, or these Gentiles had an interest in the God of Israel. Now, they were hungering for God. In Matthew 8, uh, verse 10, Jesus, when he's on the earth, marvels that he starts to preach in some of the neighborhoods in Israel, and many rejected him. But he found that some of the pagans, again, the Romans, the Roman centurion in this particular verse, uh, had incredible faith and said to Jesus, I've heard about you, I, I've studied you. And this guy was a, he was like a big guy in the military, sort of like a lieutenant or a captain. And what he did was he, um, you know, he says, my, my servant is sick and I love my servant. And he goes, you don't even have to come to my house, just say a word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus marveled. He goes, wow, I haven't seen some of this type of faith in Israel. It's pretty incredible. But my question too today is, do we see this type of faith in the church? I hope so. Because the same God who did miracles in the Old Testament is the same God today. Right? Are we going along with the Christian culture that can be decadent or, or uninspiring? Or do we really believe in this God who saved us from our sins? 
this God who came and rose again. So God exposes this disingenuous attitude towards seeking him because he felt they weren't really seeking him. In verses 2 to 3, he says, you walk in a way that is not good. It's according to your own thoughts and you provoke me to anger. Right? Provoke me to anger. Now, many of you are familiar with this, this particular verse in Judges twenty one twenty five, where it says, in those days there was no king of Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. I'm going to tell you something. We're seeing that today. We're seeing that today. And, and again, some of this, this teaching is invading the, the structure of the church. How could there be so many churches that believe things that are completely opposite? Well, what clears it up is going through this book. This book clears... I, if every church would just go through the Bible and not talk about politics and current events and all that stuff, then there would be more harmony within the Christian churches. Because this is, this is orthodoxy here. Verse 5, he says, keep to yourself, I am holier than you. This is smoke in God's nostrils. Imagine that for a moment. Because God uses metaphors in his scripture to get our attention. Is God a fire-breathing dragon or an angry bull? No, he's not. Does he have nostrils like I have? Uh, Probably not. He says God is spirit. But this is a metaphor for God to say, this really, really aggravates me. It bothers me. And this could have been written today, this self-righteousness, especially when it comes to religion. Right? To, you know, those of us that are up here in the pulpit or have some title, it doesn't matter what denomination, we're sinners too. And And they say back then, and they say today, I am holier than you. I'm holier than thou. Don't come near me. Can anybody really say that? No. It's not possible. How, does a, how do men victimize children and then go into their church and, and pretend to officiate over the masses? How do they do that? What kind of sick self-deception is that? That's an extreme situation. But he's speaking about this, this religious, this pretend piety and then, and then to, uh, you know, and put on this appearance and then do these things secretly and then get, say to the people, I'm better than you. The Nicolaitans in Revelation. God never wanted there to be a hierarchy where the clergy is there, like they're next to God. And people say to me, Pastor Joe, I want you to pray for me. And I'll say to them, I will pray for you, but you know, you could also pray for you. God hears your prayers as he hears my prayers. And I think that my sense of being grounded comes from reading the Bible for so long. Now, I'll say this to a lesser degree. You know, if I'm ever tempted to judge somebody, all I have to do is look in the mirror and say, you're not perfect. You're not perfect. So I I can't find myself judging anyone. You know, I rejoice when I see this church and I find that those have walked away and completely messed up their lives and have come back to God. I rejoice. It makes me happy. You know, some churches are very stuffy. They have all these rules and, you know, the person with the tattoos and the person who has a certain look, like they look down on them. I don't understand that. How do you read the Bible and study the Bible and have that attitude? And this is what he's talking about. And a lot of the reasons the people walked away was because the religious system portrayed this unrealistic picture of themselves. And as a boy, coming through a broken home, my teen years, my early 20s, I also walked away from God. Because when I would go to church, I thought that they were perfect. I thought I couldn't ask questions. And then I found the true God. And here I am serving him till my last day. 
verses 6 through 7, God says, I'm going to repay. I'm going to deal with such evil. And again, I'm sorry I'm stuck on this, but I don't know how you... And this goes through different denominations. One particular that's a big problem, that they don't do anything to safeguard these, these steps that they put these clergy in. Listen, one child gets molested. That's disgusting. When we hear thousands and tens of thousands, something's wrong. Somebody has to change something. I mean, honestly, start starving them for money and you'll see how they wake up. Seriously. Don't give people money who are allowing these practices to continue. <laughs> but, and people say, and I, I read about somebody who did abuse children and then they died. And, and the attorney general says, we wish we could have gotten that person. We wish we would have known. But hey, attorney general, I was in law enforcement too. Chill out, man. Because right now they're dealing with the living God. You harm, you harm a child, it was better for you to have a millstone hung around your neck and be thrown into the sea. God will deal with that person. Even law, if law enforcement doesn't, it's not a problem. So understand what he's saying in these words. Understand when he talks about repayment, when he talks about justice. People read the Bible quickly on the surface and they go, oh, that's mean. Look at the context. It isn't mean, it's necessary. So that's number one. Number two, we continue in verse eight. It says, but now, <clears throat> excuse me, thus says the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, the grapes, and one says, do not destroy it, for a blessing is in it. So will I do for my servant's sake, that I may not destroy them all. I will bring forth descendants from Jacob and from Judah, an heir of my mountains. My elect shall inherit it, and my servant shall dwell there. Sharon, which is a place, shall be a fold of flocks, and the valley of Achor, a place for herds to lie down. For my people who have sought me, but you are those who forsake the Lord, who forget my holy mountain, who prepare a table for Gad, who furnish a drink offering for many. Therefore, I will number you for the sword, and you shall all bow down to the slaughter. Because when I called, you did not answer. When I spoke, you did not hear, but did evil before my eyes and chose that in which I do not delight. So two out of four is God knows, and this is what I love. God knows how to separate the sheep from the goats, the guilty from the innocent. He's just very good at that because God can see, the Bible says, into the heart. He doesn't judge on appearance like our culture does. You have a certain look, you get a pass. You're within a certain political club, you get a pass. God doesn't do it like that. And I'm happy about that because there's a lack of justice in in that type of behavior. Justice. It's a police officer for 25 years, and there were times that somebody would get off. Somebody was guilty, and we just couldn't get them. We just didn't have the evidence. And then I started reading the Bible, and I'm like, you know what? God's got it under control. God has got it under control. So the Lord knows how to find the the guilty, the evil, the oppressors, and deal with them. Now, what's interesting here is that the awesome remnant of Israel. Israel always had an awesome remnant. Even today, in Israel today, there are a large group of, of uh, Israeli believers in the Messiah. You know, there's always been a remnant in Israel. And that's a good thing. But back in the day, when the Babylonians came and expatriated after conquering Jerusalem and bringing uh, the Jerusalem and Judah residents back into Babylon, and God eventually frees them, right, lets them go back, there were some who were part of the culture, just like I talk about the Christian culture. They were part of the Jewish culture. 
you know, and it was a cultural thing, but they, their hearts really weren't for the Lord. And you know what they said? Many of them, we don't want to go back to Jerusalem. We're comfortable here in Babylon. Unfortunately, Babylon was a picture of the world. They were comfortable with the Babylonian idols, with the Babylonian decadent culture that God eventually was going to judge. And they says, now we'll take a pass. We don't need to go back to Jerusalem. We'll stay here. So God knows how to sift, right? Even 1 Corinthians 5, the apostle Paul speaks about those who are in the church for the wrong reasons. Maybe they're tares. And he says, deliver such a one over to Satan. Let them go. For the destruction of the flesh so that their spirit can be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even today, God knows how to sift the wheat from the tares. Now, this starts out with a, really a conversation. Again, metaphors. I love metaphors. You know, you can tell somebody something directly and it goes over their head. You tell a story, now you've got their attention. Then you start assigning symbolism, meanings to it. They pick it up. Children and adults. I like stories. So uh, too old for anybody to read me a bedtime story. But other than that, I do like the metaphors here. It's good stuff. And basically, the vine dressers would see a cluster of grapes. And maybe some on the outside were rotten. And they were tempted to throw out the cluster. But the other one says, no, wait a minute. There's some good grapes there. Don't throw out it all together. Now, this this has a lot of um, theological significance Because if you look at uh, a picture of, you know, cultures, remember, God knew how to separate the good from the evil. In Egypt, he knew how to separate good from evil. He didn't just destroy all of Egypt, right? The Exodus. Uh, In Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham was like, Lord, well, what if there's, you know, 50 righteous, 40? I think he goes all the way down to 10. And the Lord said, I won't destroy the city for 10 righteous. So what does he have them do? He has them pull the the righteous ones out, right? And then he destroys the city. God knows how to sift the good from the evil. Uh, If you look at the rapture or the harpazo, the future time, where the world is just going to... And we're headed there, folks. Who's running the ship anymore in the world? You know, it's all going towards decadency. All you got to do is read the news in the morning. And it's just going to get worse. But God will remove his believers before he judges the earth with these revelation judges, the seals, the bowls, right? Um, All these different judgments that come down on the earth in the book of Revelation. The wheat and the tares, the sheep and the goats. These are all important things to look at. Now, some today, and again, I talked about in different churches and the different philosophies, some believe that God is done with Israel. They were bad. So, you know, he's cast them aside. That's not reflected in the scripture. Right? Israel always had an, a remnant. Just like the culture today, there will be a remnant. And God would spare those people. And that's what I love about my God. He doesn't, oops, send somebody to a bad situation and he, he just slipped his mind. You know, Joe, there's 8 billion people on the planet. What do you want from me? I made one mistake. It doesn't happen. Not one innocent person will be judged. That's why it's so important to believe in Christ, to be covered under that blood for your sins. In verse 10, uh, Sharon, again, is a, a place known for its beauty and grazing. He speaks about these new beginnings. The Valley of Achor is where the traitor Achan was executed. But here, this symbolism says that he's going to turn something that had a negative sim- symbolism and make something beautiful come from it. And as we've been covering the uh, prophet Isaiah, he speaks about giving us beauty for ashes. Now, I can tell you that there's some here I can speak of myself. My life was going into the ash heap. 
I knew where I was headed. I knew, so dysfunctional family, divorce, uh, all kinds of stuff. I grow up, I don't know God. I'm going the wrong way. And God turns me around. I understand beauty for ashes. I understand taking something that looks terrible and turning it around and, and bearing fruit. I get that. I lived it. And I'm going to tell you something. If you're in the wrong direction or you don't know the Lord or you're still seeking, God is a merciful God and he loves you. Give him a chance. And you say, well, God's so powerful. I have to give him a chance? Yes, because he's given you free will. So you have to, with an act of your will, your emotion, your intellect, your heart, you have to say, you know what? I want to seek out this God that this crazy pastor talked about. And that's a good thing. Because he will never let you down. All those who seek him, the Bible says, find him when they seek him with a whole heart. That's the beauty in the scripture. So even through judgment, this is the book of silver linings. No matter what kind of things are happening in the world, there's silver linings everywhere. That's why I wore a silver shirt today. Verse 11. Now these words are capitalized, Gad and many, and they had two different meanings. Gad was the false god of fortune. So some in in the culture, right, of believers, not all of them were true believers, started looking for these these pagan deities. And like the pagans do, they named their gods, usually for different characteristics, the god of the harvest, the god of the catch of fish. People still do it today. There's polytheists that live today. So uh, Gad was the false god of fortune, and many was the false god of, of destiny. This is why we have to be in our word, because it's a slippery slope to apostasy. Same thing with the Christian culture. You can go, sometimes I'll, I'll be flipping. I rarely watch TV. I, I, just to get a kick, I flip on the channels to like the, you know, the so-called the Christian channels and, and the preachers. And I'm like, you believe, I say to my wife, you believe what this guy is saying? And look at all the people there. They're all buying it. It's like, that's why you, have all, you all have Bibles. So if I say something that's wacky, you can say, Pastor Joe, no, it's, it says it right here. You're wrong. That's why you have Bibles. So the Christian culture uh, is, is moving towards some of these two, the false god of fortune, the prosperity gospel. That's the false god of fortune. Get God to do what you want. Get him to answer your prayers by saying this thing over and over again, like a mantra. Get him to give you money. And I tell you, a lot of people, I've talked to them, they get mad at me because they want to keep watching. And I'm like, listen, I'm not going to tell you what you do in your, in your living room. I'm just going to tell you the guy's a false teacher. What are you getting mad at me for? Go turn on the TV. I'll never know. I don't care. I'm just here to tell you the truth. But they, they get so, it's like a thing, you know, they, it's, it's like this idol that they hold on to. But I want to believe what that guy is saying. You can believe whatever you want to believe. It's a free world. <laughs> so... Gad, false god of fortune, prosperity gospel, destiny, destiny. Some in the, in the Christian culture are going after new aginess. Oh, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's so subtle, right? It's, they, they listen to some of these things, new aginess. They want to m- mix that with Christianity. Can't do it. Christ is the only way. Verse 12, he says, I called and you did not answer. I spoke and you did not hear. Therefore, I destined you for the sword. Maybe a play on words because one of their false gods was destiny. So he goes, fine, you want to go that way? I've destined you for, for, for the sword. The Old Testament spoke, speaks all about God's protection as long as they're under the banner of, of serving him and worshiping him. 
You want to go off and follow these false deities, then, you know, you're going to be invaded. Your crops aren't going to do well. And these things bore, bore themselves out. And we see that in history. But I want to ask you this as well. When the separation comes, when God does the great separating of the sheep and the goats and the wheat and the tares, where are you going to be? Maybe you came into this church and you're seeking. Check it out. Somebody asked me to come along. Where's your heart? When God is reaching you, trying to reach you through his word, and, and, and I've seen this because it's happened to me many, many years ago before I was a Christian. You're sitting there in that pew and you're listening to some things and you're thinking, oh, this is getting personal. I almost feel like he's talking about me. Man, should I, should I go up there and receive Jesus? And what happens is you, you start to have these discussions in your own mind, like there's two people in there. But it's because God is trying to reach you. He's trying to regenerate your spirit. So where are you going to be? Are you going to be on the wide path that everybody in the world, most people follow? Or are you going to be on the narrow path, which is the only path that leads to everlasting life? Folks, I know America is filled with choices, but there is no choice number three when it comes to God's word. God says it's either you're with me or you're away from me. But I want, but you know, when I go to the store, there's 50 different types of bread. I get it. There's 50 different types of cable companies that I get it. There's 50 different types of cars that I could, I get it. You're either with God or you're away from God. I know where I want to be. And it's not because I'm great. It's not because I'm a pastor. It's because that's where I want to be. It's your choice, folks. Verse 13, we continue. He says, therefore, thus says the Lord God. And he makes this dichotomy. Behold, my servants shall eat but you shall be hungry. My servants shall drink, but you shall be thirsty. My servants shall rejoice, but you shall be ashamed. Behold, my servants shall sing for joy of heart, but you shall cry for sorrow of heart and wail for grief of spirit. Can I tell you something? When the accounting happens, the second after the accounting happens and the God, you know, this, we're in the age of grace, mercy, free will, you could reject them and then tomorrow accept them, whatever. One day that clock is going to run out. It's going to run out. And these are going to be the choices. Right? Pastor Jason was here last Sunday. He said, being eternally separated from God is truth learned too late. Some people know the truth now, but they choose not to follow it. 15. You shall leave your name as a curse to my chosen, for the Lord God will slay you and call his servants by another name, so that he who blesses himself in the earth shall bless himself in the God of truth, and he who swears in the earth shall swear by the God of truth, because the former troubles are forgotten and because they are hidden from my eyes. Three out of four. More on the consequences, the eventual consequences that are going to take place. Then and now, everything shakes down to this. You know, there's a contextual issue, but God's MO or God's way of doing things never changes. He's highly predictable, and that's a good thing. You don't want a God who loves you today and hates you tomorrow. Highly predictable. Right? Jeremiah is a 29:13. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong. You know, you will find me if you seek me, if you seek me with a whole heart. You want God? He's easily found. You can have him today. Your choice. Verse 17, last few verses. It says, now here's, this is the silver lining part. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. 
but be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing, and her people a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the verse of crying, the voice of crying. No more shall an infant from there live but a few days, nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. But the child shall die 100 years old, and the sinner being 100 years old shall be accursed. This takes some parsing, which we're going to do. Verse 21, they shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree, so shall be the days of my people. And my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth children for trouble. And they shall be the descendants of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer before they call. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. This is why some refuse to teach the old prophetic books from the pulpit. The fear is, well, our culture won't get it. They'll re- revolt. They'll, they won't come back. Okay, so listen, if you've ever applied yourself to something that was a little hard to understand, what do we do? We stick to it until we master it. This is God's word. This is something that will transcend any vacation, any you know, n- new thing that you learn, any new language, any instrument. This thing shoots all the way into eternity and beyond. These words are eternal. Four. I should have titled it a silver lining, but in my notes I wrote a glorious and sure future for the faithful. You know, even in Ecclesiastes, which Pastor Paul taught, as you go through Ecclesiastes, you're like, this can be depressing. This is a super wealthy man who had everything he could possibly wanted, but he turned his back on the Lord. He would be compared to today as a trillionaire. So you say all these billionaires, oh, billion dollars, let me tell you something. What Solomon had, nobody could compare, nobody in the world. And he, chapter after chapter after chapter, what is it all for? What does it all mean? And in the end, you find out what he realizes is that I could ha- I, there was nothing that my eyes desired that I didn't give myself, and I still was unhappy. And the moral of the story is you could have everything you could possibly want. If you don't have God, you don't have anything. It's that simple. The new heavens and the new earth. Well, today, we have the United Nations. There's still ethnic cleansing, genocide, sad. We have the European Union. It's kind of fractured. Uh, Pastor David Jeremiah spoke about a new world order that humankind is so desperately trying to establish. Well, it kind of has another title today. It's called globalism. The concepts don't change, but the names do. Not good. I actually put David Jeremiah's sermon on, my, uh, on the church Facebook group. You can check it out. It's a 35-minute message. Fantastic. Right? A post-Christian era. Um, and again, listen, you got, you got it on both sides, so I'm not getting political here, but you know, the New Green Deal. 
You've heard about it. The New Green Deal. This is going to be the thing that does it. Everyone's going to be happy. Everyone's going to get health care. Quite frankly, I don't know if I want the government controlling my health care because anything they touch, they mess up. You know, you ever have an issue with your taxes and try to call the IRS? Good luck. Man, whatever the government touches, the bigger the bloated the agency, the more difficult it is to get anybody to find a simple mistake and fix it. But this is where the world is going. Bigger, better, bigger, bigger. You know what? I see this in Christianity, right? I see this in the Christian culture. You know, we, we, Hollywood has stars. You know, the, the, the rock people, they have stars. So we need stars in the Christian. So we do is we put up all these Goliaths. We put up all these big name people. They're going to draw thousands. And this is what I see in Christian events. Really? How about one-on-one discipleship? Didn't we learn anything from what Jesus taught? It's all about bigger and lights and smoke machines. And we're not going to get any smoke machines here. I don't think that's going to happen. My board would hang me. But (laughs) I don't want them anyway, you know. I've seen some weird stuff happen in Christianity just to draw the crowds. Discipleship is where it's at. Where was I? (laughs) So... The world is looking for this humanistic utopia, but God has his own utopia that's coming, and he's asking us to be patient. A lot of people don't know, a lot of denominational Christians, that when Jesus was partaking of communion the night he was going to die and be resurrected, uh, he was going to be you know, crucified and then later resurrected, uh, he spoke about him coming again. And I asked people who are denominationalists, do you ever hear that? Like, no. I'm like, you've got to read, don't listen to the clergy person read what the bible says jesus was was going to die but he was joyous about his coming kingdom and he wanted us to hold on to that hope a lot of people miss that right they miss that it's there second peter three thirteen. we even find out how it's going to be done second peter three thirteen. Well, let's start with 11. It says, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved? Luo in the Greek, being on fire in the elements, will melt with fervent heat. Nuclear fission. Maybe that's how it's going to happen. What holds the atoms together? I don't know, the strong nuclear force. Well, why is it the strong nuclear force? Well, we don't know. It just always is. You get these, like, people don't know. God created these atoms, right? These molecules, these molecular bonds. And Peter is saying, he's, a, he's just a fisherman. He's just saying what the Lord told him to say. God's going to take everything that we see, and he's going to remake it beautiful. He says the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Well, that's what you get when you get nuclear fission. Who knew this back then at the time of the Bible was written? Nobody. There was no hadron colliders or, you know, a study in, in you know, uh, the molecular structure. How did Peter know this? That when you set the atoms apart, you re- release incredible heat. We only found that out of, you know, thousands of years later. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for the new heavens. We look forward to a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Another scripture, Revelation 21.1. John, 
different writer, says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Uh, Also, there was no more sea. Doesn't mean, relax, I love the beach too. (laughs) I always get this. What? Listen, if you talk to scientists, We have a lot of common ground with some secular scientists. The idea of Pangea, where the continents, if you look at a map, you can see how some of them could fit together. The idea, when you read the scripture, is that there was a lot less water on the earth. There was water, and there was more landmass because people lived longer because of the canopy that was overhead that blocked the UV radiation, the cosmic rays. It's all in the scripture, right? What? Yeah, it's in there. When the flood happened and that canopy had come down, it changed the environment and people didn't live to a thousand years anymore. They lived a lot less and roughly the kind of sort of maximum age is around 120. So what we see, the coolest thing is that God is going to do some amazing things with the topography. Well, well, I really like the earth. I like the earth too. I hug trees too. I raise bees. I get it. But there are problems with volcanoes and hurricanes and flooding and all these natural disasters, earthquakes that kill a lot of people. God's going to change that. He's got to change it. He's going to make it like, I don't know, I say it's a believer's playground. When you start reading the Old Testament, the New Testament, they all say the same thing. How do these guys know this stuff? How did they know the, the, the structure of the atom? God gave them the information. That's how. Because they couldn't have known it. The microscope, the telescope were... Uh, there's different ages for each different instrument, but certainly not at the time that they were writing. You look at the mood in God's utopia, verse 17, they won't remember the bad. 18, gladness and rejoicing forever. 19, no weeping and crying. That's a good thing. So not only is the topography going to be changed, but even our own chemical makeup and people study, uh, suffer with depression. They suffer with uh, a lot of different afflictions, emotional issues. It's not going to be like that anymore, right? All those things are going to be shed. I'm looking forward to this, folks. Verses 20 through 25, uh, basically he speaks about, and we've been talking about the millennial kingdom for probably the last several months in the later chapters of Isaiah, this beautiful utopian paradise on the earth of a thousand years. There'll be no more war. The animals uh, won't tear each other apart anymore. He'll change their biological structure. So the predators, the meat eaters now will eat grass and hay and lay down with the animals that they used to have an instinct to kill. So you see a lot of these, these, uh, when sin entered the world, there was, you could say it's a curse, you could say manifestations. A lot of bad things happen that we deal with every day that we don't realize. He's going to start to change that, and you're going to see an acquiescence or a morphing to this perfect new heavens and the new earth, but the uh, millennial kingdom comes first. And what you see is almost going back to the pre-Diluvian, uh, the pre-flood age. The bodies are different, um, you know, the... the ecology and all that kind of stuff is different. He says, if someone dies at 100, now there still will be death because there's a transitional period, but death will be finally eradicated when the new heavens and the earth take place. Okay, so you've got to follow the, the different sections. I'm going to do this next Sunday and show it on the screen so everybody gets an idea. Okay, that makes sense now, Pastor Joe. It's a little hard to explain. Uh, but if the sinner dies at 100, it'll seem like a tragedy. 
because they would have a whole hundred years with Christ reigning on the earth and most likely King David is, as his co-regent from Jerusalem, a uh, different world, and people will still be, um, they still won't believe. So that'll be tragic. If a, t- a child dies at 100, again, the pre-Diluvian age before the flood, people lived to roughly 1,000 years. So uh, even childbearing years, you say, well, why would God, you start reading the Bible, much more landmass, less water, because back before the flood, uh, childbearing age, or ages could be like 100 years because people live so long. And you just, the population, population explosion, right? And this is important too because, you know, believers at this point, in this point in history, will already have gone through 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15. In other words, believers from the rapture, their bodies will be in the twinkling of an eye, 1 Corinthians 15. We will have these bodies that last into eternity, right? The Lord will come back in Revelation 19. We'll be with him. The world will just be um, kind of trying to recover from all the revelation judgments and, and the Antichrist and all that kind of stuff, and the Lord will remake everything. Uh, but there will be people on the earth, right, that will, will believe in the millennium, but they, their bodies won't be changed yet. It's all, we're going to get to all that. I hope I'm not confusing anybody. Certainly write your questions down, send it to me in email, and next Sunday is the Sunday that I'm going to show it in in stages, and it'll make a lot of sense. Uh, the wolf and the lamb feed together, the lion, the ox, east straw, Isaiah 11. Uh, we saw some of this in Isaiah 11. The animals are at peace with each other, right? So for you animal lovers, we're going to put those nature shows out of business, you know? I, I'm a pretty sturdy person, and I can't even watch some of that stuff, you know? Like, oh, that poor gazelle. He didn't have a chance, you know? That's all going to change. I love it. Just to see them is probably going to freak us out. Seeing like the lions, well, you, you know, really, you can go pet him. He's not going to bite you. Wow, real cool stuff. Um, he's definitely going to put the military out of business because there's going to be no more war. He's going to put probably police officers out of business. There'll be no more stealing. Uh, people will grow uh, like, like pre-Diluvian. The, everything will grow really nicely in your little gardens, and someone's not going to come and steal stuff from you. Um, good stuff. So the curse of the ground is erased. The curse of the animal kingdom is erased. The curse of war is erased. The cause, the curse of sin, this is what I want to leave on because this to me is the most important. Sin separates us from God, period. When sin entered the world, death entered the world and all these things that manifest from it. That is going to be erased as well. Here it says that God's going to answer them before they even ask. There's going to be a closeness to God. Revelation 21, 3 through 4, it speaks about his literal closeness to people. I will dwell with them. Even as Christians, we we can pray and we can get answers from God and it's a great relationship. Even that's going to be so much closer. I can't imagine it. It's, It's hard to believe. And that's the note that I want to end on. Let me read verse 24 again. It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are speaking, I will hear. So, yes, we can read about the 8th century BC. And we can read about the earth's future. But what about you? And this is where it shakes down. Where are you with the living God? What path are you on? What have you chosen? 
You know, that pesky free will gets in the way. Still gets, kind of gets in the way for me too. I kind of do some things and then I'll run ahead of God. And I'm like, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. But you can have as much of God in your life as you desire to have. When the disciples were asking about prayer, and I could imagine, I don't know this to be a fact, Peter might have thought, I would pray for a bigger fishing business. You know, don't know. But Jesus answered them and said, you can have as much of the Holy Spirit, as much of God's Spirit as you ask for. Do we ask? If you don't know the living God, let this be your moment. Don't let anything get in your way. Well, my family might think this. Well, you know, I've been a part of this religion. I've been a part of this culture. I've been a part of... We let so many things get in between us and the living God. And then we're upset when something doesn't go right. We don't feel God is close because we kept him at a distance. For believers, the only safe place is to be in God's arms. And we mess up, don't we? I mess up. Even when I'm upset, and we, even when I believe that God is not answering a particular prayer, and even when I'm crying out to him, you know what? At the end of my prayer, I say, you know what, Lord? I'm still going to serve you. The problem is not on his end, it's on my end. Maybe my lack of understanding, maybe some decisions I've made. Remember, God is perfect. He is holy. He is all-loving. He is just. He is righteous. I've counseled people who... Or even they're going through a sin period and they come to me and they say, you know, I really haven't even been praying. I said, you know what? God loves you. God loves you. Cry out to him every day and say, Lord, deliver me from this. Don't shut him out. Don't close the door. That's when we get ourselves into trouble. And I can tell you that being forced to put sermons together as a new pastor, you know what it forced me to do? It forced me to stay close to God. I need him to do this, as does anybody who gets into this pulpit. So I could say that being, becoming a pastor was probably a great thing for my walk because it keeps me in, in, in these guidelines that are safe for me. And I see it. I see people who, and I don't, I don't judge, and I, my heart breaks. They go off the path, and they make a mess. But you know what the coolest thing is? The ones that come back. And they, re- they give their heart back to the Lord. And they look at you as if, are you going to judge me? Are you kidding me? Give me a hug. <laughs> give me a hug. What an awesome thing. If God is going to talk about a sinner who repents and the angels rejoice, far be it for me to furrow my eyebrows. That is the most awesome thing that I've ever seen, is people coming back and reengaging with their God, and he's forgiven them. You know what? Sometimes we have to forgive ourselves. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfield's by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, 
and may God bless you.